Hi, this is the Home Bodies Yoga Podcast, and I'm Rebecca Hirsch, and this is our 19th episode. In this podcast, I ask people what they do when they unroll their yoga mat and tell you a little bit about what's going on on mine. If you have a question about your yoga practice or a suggestion for a guest, please email me at rebecca at homebodiesyoga.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Homebodies Yoga Podcast. To find out more about each show, please go to our website, homebodiesyoga.com. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Um, yeah, and really please do rate and review and subscribe. Recently, two people who I already liked a lot, but somehow reading their reviews made me like them even more. Josh and Kirsten have reviewed the show. And even though, you know, of course it helps people find things, it really is very encouraging. Um, I can't really tell you how uh, gratifying it is to feel like somebody is listening from the other side of the void, right? From here and my talking to myself in the closet to have that like, oh, there, there is someone listening. Um, I don't, it, I'm not going to start crying uh, right now already at the beginning of the show, but it is very emotionally, I don't know, it's nice. And, and not only is it an ego boost, but it, it really does help people find the show. So, um, yeah, if you have the time, I would love for you to rate and review and subscribe, of course. Um, yeah, so my practice this week, well, there's something really clarifying about um, thinking about teaching again. Uh, and I think this is probably true for a lot of different things. But when you start to think about teaching something to someone else, you start to think about, you know, or I've started to think about like, well, okay, why do I practice yoga? And what is it that I really want people to learn from me? And beyond, you know, sort of the alignment in triangle or sun salutes or even the breath practice like what, what is my like overarching what what do I want people to get from the practice and not just that but be or because of that like what do I get from the practice like what am I trying to like transmit to others and I've narrowed it down to three words really um the first and they all kind of you know of course braid braid together in, in a way. Um, the first is awareness. Uh, what the yoga practice gives me and has given me and what I want other people to learn from me is the ability to pay attention. And the practice, you know, the yoga practice is just that it's practice for paying attention for paying attention in warrior two and the way it feels the first time you do it. And keeping that focus, keeping that attention when it's the millionth time, um, or feeling the breath inside of your body or having awareness when your body is uncomfortable or when your body is feeling really good, right? The, just this ability to keep your focus and sustained attention. And you practice by focusing on the body so that, you know, it, it bleeds to the rest of your life, that you can start paying attention other parts of your life when, you know, when you're two-year-old is talking to you, I'm speaking for myself, or when you're having a conversation with someone, or when you're going for a walk, right? This awareness. The second is discipline and the discipline to practice regularly. Um, and I actually think this actually relates to awareness, right? Because um, 
like for example, uh, an example my teacher Annie has talked about before. She really likes birds, right? She's a bird watcher, and she talks about how a, a birder, I think they're called, a good birder will go out to the same place every day um, because when you go to the same place every day at the same time, you start to notice changes in the birds, right? This bird is here, you know, every day, and then all of a sudden this bird's gone, or uh, the birds are acting different today. And and that way you can start to notice subtle shifts uh, in the world around you. And it's the same with the practice, right? You come back to your meditation cushion, you come back to your um, yoga mat, and you start to notice subtle shifts. And the more disciplined you are in coming back and staying present and coming back to those same poses, the more opportunities you have to notice subtle shifts. So awareness, discipline, and then the third is self-regulation. Um, I've been thinking about self-regulation a lot because I have a two-year-old and I actually am reading this like really great book. Um, it's called Hunt, Gather, Raise Children. Wait, is that the Sorry, it's called Hunt, Gather, Parent, and it's by Michelleine Ducleff? Ducleff. Michelleine Ducleff, I think. Um, and she basically talks about the way that non-Western, non-European, non-Western people raise their children, like ancient peoples and even people today, uh, and their philosophy. And, and, and a lot of the philosophy comes back to teaching your child to self-regulate and you know, anyone who has kids or who's been a kid probably realizes that like the best way to teach, especially a small person, something is not through words, but through them observing you. So I've been really aware of my own ability to self-regulate when I'm around Hudson. It's my two-year-old because I want, I want him to learn to self-regulate. And that is something a two-year-old is really, really learning. Um, you know, and there's all kinds of ways we self-regulate for better or worse. Uh, you know, there's reaching for my phone, there's turning on the TV, there's, um, you know, reaching for a drink or a food or a phone call. And, the, you know, that we're all just trying to survive. So like, <laughs> occasionally, these things are really, uh, I think, helpful. Um, but I've been trying to be really intentional on how I self-regulate. You know, I've, I've even noticed like one thing I do when I'm trying to self-regulate and I'm with Hudson and, and I'm not doing, you know, the phone, the whatever, is I'll like repeat the same things over and over to him. Like, you know, if he's not doing something I want, I'll like say the command over and over. And I feel like that's like actually a self-soothing for me because, you know, it doesn't really do anything to him. It doesn't change his behavior. It feels to me like I'm exerting some kind of control. So I feel like I'm feeling powerless. So the way that I self-regulate is by repeating a command, which isn't really helpful for either of us. And it kind of just wastes my words. So I've been, and this is like, the book doesn't necessarily say this outright, but it's been, I've been kind of, as I've been like reading the book, it's, it's just kind of like been something on my mind. Uh, and the yoga practice is so good at teaching self-regulation, right? Because, or meditation like that, you, you stay, you, you stay in the pose, you stay in the position, you stay on your yoga mat and you breathe and you breathe through it. Um, and actually I, this comes up in uh, my interview today with, 
Becca, she talks about rock climbing and how she uses the principles of yoga to self-regulate from the fear of heights. Um, you know, anyway, there's, there's all these opportunities for self-regulation in regular life. Um, you know, a awkward phone call with a family member, a, <laughs> an argument with uh, someone at the grocery store, right? That there are all of these different ways where we get our feathers get ruffled or my feathers get ruffled. And it's like, well, okay, how do I like smooth them down and be this, person who is able to stay calm even in a situation in which I might otherwise have an uprising of some sort and also you know what tools am I using to stay regulated um yeah and it becomes more and more it becomes more important to me as I'm like this example for Hudson um because I want him to have an example of someone who regulate who who is able to self-regulate um, in these emotion, in these like positive ways. Uh, so the, those are like the three main things that I think the yoga practice gives. And of course, you know, like, oh yeah, of course it makes you more comfortable in your body, but doesn't that really get back to, uh, the ability to have awareness, right? Because once you're more aware, you're more aware of your body. So being more comfortable in your body becomes more important, right? Or, you know, being strong and, and strength is, Another thing that's gained by discipline and also um, this awareness of being able to stand on your own two legs. Um, yeah, and self-regulation, uh, right? They all kind of like go in this circle. Um, anyway, so that's what I've been really thinking about. And oh yeah, I wanted to say one other thing. I took, uh, so Dia was on the, uh, Dia Penning was on the pod last week. Really recommend her episode, episode 18. If you haven't listened, go back and listen to it. It's a great episode not for me, but because of Dia, <laughs> uh, she's really brilliant. Um, but anyway, so I took her class and she has this class called social restorative yoga and social justice, where she reads books from anti, she reads parts, um, passages from anti-racist books while you're in a restorative yoga pose. And I think that her, this method is so brilliant, right? Because what she's teaching in this is self-regulation to do anti-racism work, right? Because when she's reading these lines and you're in this comfortable position, you can be really aware about what your body is doing. She talks about this on the podcast. Um, so you, again, you should, so you should also take this class. Um, it's with Body Soul Collective. You can go back. It's in the show notes of the last episode also. Uh, but anyway, so what she's really teaching is like the ability to regulate yourself even in a situation in which you feel uncomfortable which I think comes up a lot when we're having conversations about race because it's uncomfortable um for many reasons um yeah so just a plug for that I took that class I really really enjoyed it I usually have a hard time being in restorative poses and spending time doing restorative yoga um I have a very hard time doing it alone. So it's actually, I think, a worthwhile thing to do, class to take, if you're more of a vinyasa person like me, um, because someone is keeping you in the pose and telling you when to get out of it. I think otherwise, sometimes I just end up getting up. <laughs> um, and Diaz is like very calming, grounding presence. So recommend her class. Uh, and today on the show, I have Becca Andrew, who I mentioned earlier, is a rock climbing enthusiast, yoga instructor, and she also runs a program called Period Power, where she talks about the different hormonal shifts throughout um, 
the monthly cycles of some women. Um, I've been really wanting to have someone on the show um, to talk about cycle syncing because it's something I find really interesting and it's kind of another way to do self-study if you are a person who gets cycles. Uh, and I just find it really interesting. And I chose Becca specifically. There have been a few people I've been kind of, I looked around at, uh, like online or uh, on Instagram. And I chose Becca because she, one, I really like her attitude of um, using the cycles as a, uh, as a way to learn more about yourself. And I also really liked it that she is not judgmental about birth control because I think, I mean, this is a sticky issue. I for a lot of people, but I, I think birth control, we can agree, changed the trajectory of the way that women move through the world uh, just in general. And it, it is a necessary thing for many women. Um, you know, and I won't go even any deeper. I just, I just think birth control is a wonderful invention. It's something that a lot of women really, really benefit from. So I didn't want anyone judgmental about birth control on the show. I also really like her her attitude of just using these this information as a way to learn more about yourself and not as a way to, I don't know, I also feel like there are a lot of like fertility quote-unquote experts who um, I just find kind of judgy about women who can't get pregnant or are having a difficult time getting pregnant and... Um, I just can't get behind that. Like I, bodies are so complex and difficult and there, there isn't an easy answer, even if we want there to be. So to make anyone feel like the reason that they haven't been able to have a child and they wanted or, or, or whatever, they have other issues with their cycle is just not something that I can um, promote on the show. And anyway, I really enjoy talking to Becca. She, um, I just felt very empowered as a person who has these hormonal shifts throughout the month and, and empowered in all the different um, aspects, like all the different parts of my cycle. Uh, yeah. So I hope you enjoyed the, the interview. Here is Becca Andrew. So welcome, Becca. Uh, thanks so much for being here. Um and let's see, I know you because we were working together for a while in Oakland at the same studio, Left Coast Power Yoga, where you managed. And now we have both gone in completely different directions. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what your life is like these days? Yeah, totally. Um, first of all, I'm so excited to be here and to reconnect with you. It's been a long time. Um, yeah, so my name's Becca, and I have been teaching yoga for about 10 years. And then on top of that, I do a ton of rock climbing. So I've been climbing for like seven years, six or seven years. And I really love when I found rock climbing, well, back up. When I was growing up, I really didn't have any type of um, form of body movement that I resonated with and like was not an active person. And then when I was 19, I found yoga and I was like, this is it. Like, this is what I have been waiting for looking for and it just like felt so right and good in my body and so I would just like obsess over it and went all the time you know like every day that like beginner's high where you're just like 
going, going, going. And soon after that, I think I had only been practicing for like a year before I did my first teacher training. And that just like completely changed my whole like worldview really. And like began a trajectory in my life that like really provided stability during those like early 20 crazy years and um, just helped me have a better relationship and understanding to myself so that as I navigated through those years, I could um, do so with like more clarity and more intention versus just like going with it because it's such an intense time. Uh, And then when I started rock climbing, like that integration of yoga really was really powerful. And like, again, like changed my life. Like, you know, you're in the studio practicing yoga and it's like pretty much a contained and controlled space. And it's like, okay, you remember your breath. You have your teacher there guiding you, reminding you what to do and like how to show up in a like, quote unquote, yogic way. And then when you start rock climbing, it's like all of that is gone, but you're trying to remember and practice those same principles on the wall. So I really feel like rock climbing is like putting your yoga to the test. Like you're scared. It feels unnatural. You shorten your breath. You stop breathing. Your mind goes crazy. uh, Your body tenses up and you can't, you can't, you physically cannot continue climbing the route until you come back to your breath, calm down, calm your mind, calm your body. And then you can look at what's happening on the wall and decide the best way to go about it. So that integration like was very powerful and had a huge role in me continuing to rock climb because I was deathly afraid of it. And I was like, I have, like, if this is something I want to do, which it was, Um, I have to really learn how to apply these principles. And so for the longest time, when I would approach a climb and I was nervous, I would, I don't know the breath name for it, but where your exhale is longer than your inhale, which is said to like calm you down. So I would like practice that right before climbing. And then, you know, you do like an inhale for a count of four, exhale for a count of six. And I would just count that in my head going up the climb. And it was like, I did that for years just to like climb (laughs) as I wanted to like progress in climbing, you know, I was able to like take it a bit deeper. So yeah, I, um, both of those practices are very important to me and like have shaped and been a big, like, um, trajectory push in my life. And then, um, you know, getting into like, my experience as a female, a menstruator, someone who has a period, um, I, that all kind of started, it was probably, we're in 2021, it was like 2016, early 2016, when um, I was having chronic urinary tract infections, UTIs. And I had been experiencing them every single month uh, for three years straight. So from 2013 to 2016, I would get a UTI right before my period every single month. And, um, you know, I would go to doctors and the advice was always the same. Here's an antibiotic. Women have to deal with this. Learn how to just live your life. 
And I was like, okay, you know, so I would, I went back and forth between like taking antibiotics or like trying homeopathic remedies or just dealing with it, like living on Azo forever. And finally I was like, you know what? I've seen countless doctors, like there has to be a better way. And I had a UTI and I was just like researching stuff on the internet. And I read in like some back alley website that my non-hormonal IUD could be linked to my chronic UTIs. And I was like, that's interesting. Like I put it in my, in the back of my head. And then like last resort, I was like, I'm just going to get this IUD out and see what happens. And so I got the IUD out and I was like, I'm not doing birth control anymore because every single thing I've tried has been so horrible for me and my body. So I was like, but I need, I don't want to have a kid. Like I don't want to get pregnant. So then I found the fertility awareness method, which was talked about in Alyssa, Alisa Vitti's um, book, The Woman Code. And I bought that book and like right at the beginning, she said, um, right before your period, your hormones are at their lowest. So you are most susceptible to UTIs, yeast infections, or any kind of other bacterial infection. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Like I read that within a few chapters of this book and no doctor has ever been able to give me that information. And that like really started the path towards like taking control and ownership and and learning about my cycle as a way to support my health. So I've been um, cycle syncing since 2016 and then have since launched um, the period power course, which is a four week course that teaches you all about the four phases of your cycle and how to eat in accordance with your cycle exercise in accordance with your cycle, how you manage your energy in accordance with your cycle. I mean, hormones are everything. That's how we do everything in our lives from intimacy to, you know, just showing up at work. And when we don't know what's going on, that's where we get these really um, defeating feelings of like, what's going on with me and why am I not performing or or behaving like I feel like I should. So um, I'm on my second round of teaching this course and it's just so much fun and so amazing. And I know that was like a super long intro into everything I'm doing, but that's where I'm at right now. (laughs) No, I love it. Um, I um, have a lot of questions, uh, but I want to start with, so I hear this phrase cycle syncing a lot, and I'm not sure I exactly know where it is. So like, how do you define cycle syncing? So cycle syncing is simply looking at your menstrual cycle and then syncing your life with it. Mm -hmm. So the menstrual cycle is divided into four phases. And most people are aware that they have a menstrual phase, which is when you have a period. And about half of those people are aware that you have an ovulatory phase where um, you're ovulating and that's when you can have a baby. And the less known phases are the follicular and luteal phases of your cycle. So um, I try not to say like your first phase is because that's like pretty linear thinking and, and linear thinking really is constructed by men. Men have a 24-hour cycle. They make hormones every single day. And that's why they are able to show up 
in the same way relatively every single day. And that's why our work is um, set up as nine to five showing up every single day. Whereas women are cyclical, we're on a 28 to 40 day cycle. And so we're going to go through different phases throughout that time. So let's just say we're working with a 28 day cycle. Um, Because you know, when you're menstruating, that's like the easiest place to start. So you have your menstrual phase and that's when your hormones are the lowest. Your body is shedding your uterine lining and that's what the blood is. And when, and that lasts three to seven days typically, but people can be different. Uh, And then immediately when you exit the menstrual phase and you are done with your period, you enter the follicular phase and you can think of the follicular phase like springtime. So your hormones start out pretty low, but they are increasing um, in amount up until ovulatory phase. So your follicular phase lasts about seven to 10 days. And, um, and it's like, it's such a good feeling. I love the follicular phase. It's like, you are open to new things. Like your hormones are rising and you're like, yeah, I want to like go take Zumba and I've never done Zumba. Like I'm beginning to feel like more social and, um, and then to support your your rise in hormones, there um, are specific foods that you would want to eat during that phase to support those hormones. So it's like a pretty light, um, fresh food approach. So like salads are really good or pressed salads like kimchi and sauerkraut. Um, I can actually like pull up right here like kind of just a general view of like what foods would be really good during that time just to support those hormones to get you to the next phase so um like for instance it's really nice to just like start with vegetables because vegetables are going to be like the quickest way to incorporate and um affect your hormones during that phase. So really good vegetables during the follicular phase are artichoke, broccoli, carrot, uh, bib, boston, and romaine, lettuces, parsley, green peas, rhubarb, string beans, and zucchini. I don't know if we want to like give all the vegetables for each phase. Um, Yeah, maybe just like a general. um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. So um, So those vegetables are going to be like really supportive during this phase. Then that brings us to our ovulatory phase. So the whole goal during your follicular phase is to create the most healthy egg possible for your ovulatory phase. And whether or not you want children, you want a healthy egg. You want a prime ovulatory phase because that is the only time during the month that we make our hormones. Women make their hormones right before ovulation and right after. And if you don't make enough hormones during that time, uh, the hormones aren't gonna be able to carry you through your luteal and menstrual phase, which is why PMS and painful periods creep up. 
So, yeah. Can I just say, I, I really love um, hearing your perspective. I don't know if you mind saying this, but I, we've talked about how you don't want children. Uh, and I feel like the only time I hear women talk about their cycles when they're trying to get a good egg to have a child. Exactly. And in a way, it's sort of sad that that's the only time we care about what's going on with our body is when we're making a new life. Like, what about the life that we have right now? Wow. Exactly, exactly. And like, and it's just a shame to me, like the lack of understanding we have been given through our education and healthcare systems that like, like I had no idea that the only time I made hormones were like right at ovulation and why that would, how that would impact my life, you know? And, and so that's like what brings so much passion behind this is like, it's going to change your life. Like it's going to have a huge impact on your life. Um, yeah. So once you get into ovulatory phase, this is like the peak of your cycle, your hormones are highest. It's associated with the full moon with summer, which is like activation. And, um, this is when you're going to be like most social, your libido is the highest you're like literally magnetic because your body is like, impregnate me. I'm ready for a baby. And so people are like naturally drawn to you. So this is a great time to like have tough community or have tough conversations to ask for a raise to like go for that big project or whatever you might have going on in your life. Um, and, and if you tend to have cyclical acne, it's going to happen during your ovulatory phase. So again, we can use food, diet, lifestyle to support that so that you're less likely to have an acne breakout. So the ovulatory phase vegetables, which I can like send this in a little PDF for you so you can have show notes. Okay, so ovulatory vegetables, that would be great during this time, um, would be asparagus, uh, bell peppers, Brussels sprouts, char, chicory, chive, dandelion, eggplant, endive, escarole, um, okra, scallion, spinach, and tomato. And again, like during this, during the follicular and ovulatory phases, it's really nice to just keep it light. And like, usually if your hormones are are in balance, like you're naturally going to be inclined to those foods anyway. So it just helps you um, become more aware of what your body is needing. And then as you become more aware of that, you're going to notice that your body is, is like actually asking for those things because it knows it's good for it. Uh, so then that brings us to the luteal phase and the luteal phase is like, like if you have a naughty cat, like this is your luteal phase where you're just like, I love you, but like, you're kind of difficult right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a cat like that. That's why I break up. <laughs> um, so the luteal phase is so fascinating. And when you can understand your luteal phase, like this is where you are going to take your power back. During the luteal phase, it's so the ovulatory phase usually lasts about three to seven days. It all kind of depends on how long your cycle is. But the luteal phase is going to be your longest phase. And it's like 10 to 14 days. And during this time of the month, you need your, um, your metabolism speeds up. And so you need exactly 
237 more calories every single day. And this is, this is like the increase in appetite that we all feel. And then we're like, Oh, that's so bad. Like, I don't want to be eating more than I was yesterday. Like, and that's the linear thinking. That's like the, the male dominated, like showing up in the same way every single day. And it's like, we are women. And that is not the case. If you don't support your, your body through the increase in calories that it needs, you will experience PMS. You will get irritable and frustrated and feel about it. Um, and of course, this goes kind of without saying, but you want those foods to be nutritive foods for the luteal phase. Because if you're just like eating cupcakes to gain those 237 calories, like that's not, that's not going to support your hormones. Um, so the luteal phase, when we experience PMS, it's because of too much estrogen in the body. And so eating foods that will help um, metabolize the excess estrogen during this phase are going to help prevent PMS. And so this phase is all about like getting in root vegetables and slow burning carbs like brown rice and millet. So my favorite thing to do during this phase is to like make brown rice and um, any kind of root vegetables, onions, um, sweet potatoes, regular potatoes, celery, carrots, and just, you know, stir fry it all up and then put it on the rice. And honestly, the effect is like pretty immediate. Like your hormones are very responsive. So I recently just moved from Berkeley to Las Vegas and um, it was right during my luteal phase, which was like the worst time to be moving. And so you're like eating pizza and you know, all sorts of bad food. And I was like, I feel PMS coming on. I am so frustrated. I feel so weak. Like I'm just going to make this luteal bowl as I call it. And, um, to see if it helps. And I had it for dinner and like the next day I felt improvements. Like it was like, okay, I feel better. I can manage this. I have leftover luteal bowl to eat. Like that's going to just keep supporting me. Um, so, and then during this phase, like, (laughs) You might think like, oh, cool, my metabolism is sped up. Like I can like work out harder and, you know, um, lose weight if that's like what you're focused on during this time. But actually you want to slow down your like output of workout and energy because your body is getting ready for this really intense process of shedding the uterine lining. So overexerting the body will actually trigger your body to hold on to fat because it's like, it's like, okay, I have this big thing coming up and my energy stores are getting depleted from this really intense workout that I'm being forced to do every single day. And so it starts holding and reserving that. And so if you can instead do Hatha yoga or go for a walk keep it more mellow. Like don't go for those high intensity workouts. If you're going to do power yoga, because that's your routine, like be willing to come into child's pose. Like, again, it all comes back down to like listening to your body. It's telling you what it needs for a reason. So during this phase, it's really important to like really honor what's happening. I'll say during this, during this phase, I really enjoy organizing my kitchen. I've noticed and I can really, I do a very good job organizing it. 
You are touching on, you are like so already like in tune with, with all of this. Like you would just, I don't know if you do practice any type of cycle syncing, but yes, this is the like get shit done phase. This is like where you're ready to like work and like get shit done. So, and and your inclination to clean your house is like actually like a natural inclination so that during your menstrual phase, you can actually rest and you're not like piled high with all these overwhelming things. I love that you are like already tapping into that. You would just like love the work section. Um, yeah, that I want to like keep it like digestible for today, but that got me really excited. So luteal phase, um, it's a very important phase. They all are, but um, this is where you're going to like begin to really see results immediately. If you're like, wow, I have a lot of PMS and it's like intense. Luteal phase is going to be your best friend in learning how to support. So really good um, vegetables for this phase, phase are cabbage, cauliflower, celery, collards, uh, cucumber, garlic, ginger, leek, mustard greens, onion, parsnip, pumpkin, radish, squash, sweet potatoes, and watercress. And I really, um, again, I really like to focus on those root vegetables and then like I'll throw, you know, some kind of green in with it if I have it. But that's like a really big one that can be really supportive. Okay. So I know I am veg- I'm a big vegetable eater, so I'm really enjoying this, but I also really like sweets and mm-hmm. I've actually, so I actually noticed my last period, I was like a real monster. My last PMS so right before I got my period, I was a true, like anyone in my household can attest. I was like a real monster. And I was thinking about like what the two weeks prior were and it was my son's birthday. And I was like making all these cakes and eating a lot of sugar. So is the luteal phase like not an ideal time for sugar or, and is yes. there an ideal time for sugar? <laughs> totally. Um, again, I'm like so impressed with like your intuitive nature with all of this. So if you experience PMS and you know, you're coming up on your luteal phase, the, the first thing to really cut out or cut back on would be dairy because dairy is an inflammatory food. And um, that just exacerbates like the inflammation in your body, which then will um, not support your hormones during that phase. And then, of course, the next would be sugar like that has a huge impact, especially during this phase in playing into um, your PMS. And also, if you're someone who like does get yeast infections, UTIs or anything like that right before your period, absolutely cutting out dairy sugar, alcohol, and caffeine, at least during the luteal phase, is going to have huge improvements on your PMS and painful periods. So 100%, if you were like, you know, um, like dark chocolate is really good during your menstrual phase. I forget what's in it that supports the loss of blood, but that would be like a time to enjoy chocolate, there really isn't a phase that's like, yeah, go ahead and eat cake, you know? <laughs> but yeah, but as we, you know, like it's all in moderation and, um, you know, follicular and ovulatory would probably be best, but you're probably less likely to even want it during those times. Your body is just more able to absorb or 
digest the excess spike in sugar during those times. So yeah, that's a great question. Um, and then finally, moving into the menstrual phase and, you know, periods like they're so taboo and our culture has taught us that they're gross and that, you know, women are horrible during their periods. But actually, during your period, your hormones are the lowest. So the left side, like hormonally in your brain chemistry, the left side and the right side of your brain are more able to communicate. So you actually, this is actually like a really good time to assess your life and see if things are going the way that you want them to be going. Uh, Because you are less like emotionally charged and you are in more of like a, uh, like realistic thinking, like seeing things very clearly during this time. And I feel like I feel like the title of my course period power is like really about that finding the power in your period, like the physical act of your period, because it it is like a very good time. Like I said, to assess your life and see what's going on. And, and you are more able to decide the best course of action to move forward. Um, and when we can learn how to support our hormones so that our periods, like, of course, you're going to feel your uterine lining releasing from your body. Like you're going to feel those cramps, but the cramps and the pain should not be debilitating or nauseating. Um, and if they are, it's a sign that your hormones are imbalanced. And so as you begin to work with your cycle and with your hormones, you can like make a huge difference in your life by releasing this, this pain that is experienced. I used to throw up every single, um, the first day of my period, every single month. And it was debilitating pain. I was in bed all day. I would leave work every single month early. Um, you know, and then once I started cycle syncing and like understanding like more fully what's going on with my body now it's weird and I don't say like I necessarily look forward to it but I am like more welcoming of my period because I now set aside time and I'm like okay today is when my period is going to start so like I'm going to do what I need to do beforehand so that I can get as much rest and downtime as I can during this phase And then um, reflect, like I said, on my life and see how things are going. And then how do I want to show up more fully in my life as I move out of my menstrual phase and into a new cycle for the next 28 days? And, um, And it's become just like a really nice like ritual and practice for myself to like. And then it's also kind of a good like report card like if I do experience really bad cramps it's like I probably didn't support myself during my luteal phase so like recommitting to that um and it's also like you get to eat really yummy food during your menstrual phase if you like like souped and warm stuff um so like eating ramen is really good like miso and um seaweed help remineralize your body after the loss of blood 
Um, so every month I make a miso soup, uh, miso ramen soup and enjoy it. Mushrooms are really good during this phase. Um, so I'll go ahead and let you know the uh, vegetables that are great for your menstrual phase are beets, burdock. I will ruin, I don't know how to say these words because they're Japanese, but they'll say uh, D-U-L-S-E and then hijiki, H-I-J-I-K-I, kale, kep, kombu, which is a type of seaweed, mushrooms, again, wakame, W-K-A-M-E, water chestnut. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's all of your four phases and those are foods that support it. And again, like there is so much more to this that I have a whole four week course for that we won't be able to cover, even though I'm like, yes, let's talk about all of it. Yeah. So for you personally, how do you like what so you're very active, you rock climb, do a lot of yoga. Um, so what, how do you um, sync that with your cycle, those activities? Yeah, great question. Um, so during the um, follicular and ovulatory phases, you are more... Um, you have more energy for those high intensity workouts. So for me, it's like, that's when I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go out all day to rock climb. I'm going to do a power yoga class. I'm going to like work towards my handstands, you know, arm balances, those kinds of things. Um, and yeah, I'm just kind of trying to think, yeah. So during the follicular and ovulatory phases, you're going to have more energy and your body is more primed for building lean muscle. Um, so that's generally like, I, I do really try to listen to my body and see how I'm feeling, but definitely during that time, I'm like, let's go rock climb every single day. Like do a lot of yoga. Or I even started doing cardio, which I've never ever been interested in in my life my friend was doing this like 10 days of sweat and um and it was like started right at the beginning of my follicular phase and I was like sure yeah I'll do that and I loved it so it's like if you're going to try something new that's the time to do it uh and then during my luteal phase um it varies because the beginning of the luteal phase you still have a good amount of hormones from your ovulatory phase so energy can still be pretty high during the beginning. And so I just really try to pay attention. But when I'm not feeling super high energy, I will still go rock climb, but I'll definitely cater it to how I'm feeling. And maybe it's like doing routes I've already done before or routes that are lower in my grade, um, just so that like I feel active and I'm keeping up with my sport, but not pushing my body too hard. And this um, phase, the luteal phase would be really great for like a slower vinyasa class or even like hatha. Hatha can still be, of course, be like really intense and like a lot of work. So it's, it's really about listening to your body. A yin class would be really good during this time. And then during my menstrual phase, I, on the first day of my period, I try not to do anything. And I just like really, truly let it be a rest day so that 
I can like integrate the things that I'm working on. But then usually day two of my period, I'm like ready to kind of do a little bit more. And so I would still stick to like restorative or yin or a slower class um, and do modifications as I need. And then I would still keep my climbing or my outdoor time like flexible so that I'm not like tied to being outside for eight hours. So I don't like make big plans with friends. Something that's really fascinating that I've noticed in my climbing when on my period is because the brain, the hormones effect on the brain chemistry makes the left side of your brain and the right side of your brain more um, in sync and like more communicative. I've actually noticed that I am a lot more reasonable on my climbing during my period because I, I don't overly freak out I'm like okay this bolt has me if I fall I fall like that's just how it is I don't get like so caught up in the fear and the emotions of it so that's been really fun to kind of like play with and understand why that might be happening and so again like listening to your body and feeling feeling it out like try doing your normal yoga class and if you're like not feeling it come to child's pose Um, but like you might have a different experience, which is what's so fun and fascinating about this work. Yeah. I think I've told you, but I'm, I like time my runs just for me and I am the fastest, like not the first day of my period, but like day two or three. And I really think it's because I am like an energetic person to begin with. Like I am very, I'm active. And when I am in my ovulatory or follicular phase, I start out too fast and I burn out. Like I might get my first mile will be like seven minutes and then I have to walk because I'm like so tired. (laughs) But I think I'm just reasonable when I have my period where I'm like, okay, like, we'll just, here we go. Like, it's like a reasonable pace, like a pace I can keep up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. It's, that's amazing. And again, I just love that you're like in tune with that and can see that because for so many of us, it's like, unless you are seeking it out, like this information isn't readily available and it isn't like the society norm to listen to our bodies. It's the society norm to try and show up every single day like men do. Um, But like, we're not just tiny men floating around on earth. Like we're women who have much different needs and And that is like proven through our hormones. Yeah, this is a tangent, but I like always wonder about people, women who are really into intermittent fasting, because I've noticed it just really doesn't work for me. And it really works for my husband, but like it, it does not feel like it doesn't feel right. Like it feels wrong to me. Yes, it is. It is wrong. Um, I, well, and that's like personal and it's also like, proven this this book that I have um goes into all the different fad diets and um and like pretty much disproves them like our hormones are different and so we need to support them in a different way and like those diets have never worked for me either. And it was always like a point of frustration. And then it wasn't until I started like really cycle syncing with my food that I'm like, oh, like I'm, I'm down, not down, but like I am naturally maintaining my ideal body weight 
without any effort. Like it's like I'm eating well and I, I'm like a huge like dessert person. So like I don't skip out on my desserts at all. Um, but I just know how to time them and how to support my hormones so that it doesn't, you know, hurt my body. Um, yes, I would be very careful if, especially if you're like, wow, I have horrible PMS, horrible periods. I would be extremely careful with, um, fad diets for sure. Yeah. And this, I don't know if you've heard about, um, intuitive fasting. Uh, Don't do that. (laughs) That's awful. Well, yeah, because intuitively I want to eat. Like I just doesn't. Yeah. I know. Exactly. It's interesting. I've tried like low carb diets, like keto and stuff. And I'm always really good at it for two weeks, which are like the two weeks I would be good at it. And then the minute I'm like about to get my period, I'm like, I need I need some noodles. I need food over yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. hundred Yes, exactly. Exactly. If you were like, I could see doing a very mellow, like juice cleanse, quote unquote, for no more than three days during your follicular and ovulatory phase. If you're like, wow, I just need to like kind of flush my system. I could see that as like probably being better for you. But, um, I mean, honestly, like for me, it always comes back to nature, like the earth provides us with food and we are supposed to eat those foods. And when we veer from that into processed foods, and when we don't listen to like the natural cycles of nature and of our bodies, like we're going to run into problems and we're going to burn out quicker and not be stable, happy, whole human beings. Yeah. Um, okay. So we can cut this out if it, you don't want to talk about it. And also my mom and my mother-in-law listen to this. So uh, just a warning, like this is going to involve sex, this conversation. Because <laughs> um, I always wonder about this with cycle seeking. So I, just to put it out there, am not, I don't have any birth control right now. And we're just like, quote unquote, being careful. Yes. Um, <laughs> and so I'm like curious uh, how, what's the best advice for like, do you use condoms all the time? Do you use condoms when you have, except when you have your period, like what's, what's best for not getting pregnant and not using birth control? Yes. Great question. Um, and you do not have to cut this out. This is such a good question because it's so not talked about. And so then women are like, the only way I can prevent pregnancy is through birth control. And your doctor is going to support that because it's easy. They can just give you a pill or put something in your body that prevents you from having a baby. Um, So the best way to approach this. One, everyone is so different and your needs and your choice to be on birth control is 100% your choice. And if that is what is best for you, by all means, go for it. If you were like, you know, I'm really uncomfortable with having these synthetic hormones in my body. I don't think they're working for me. It's not going well, or I just feel uncomfortable with the idea of having something like that in my body, then the non-hormonal birth control is your best option. For me, that didn't work because it led to UTIs. Um, But for a lot of people, it works and it's great. And it's like, go for it. 
if you have the hormonal IUD, um, that one is better than like the pill or the arm implant because it's localized hormones. So the hormones aren't as um, potent. So they're, they can use a lot milder of hormones, but, um, but through the courses that I've led unintentionally, so many people got off of their birth control. Like that wasn't my intention. And they, and by the end of the four weeks, they're like, I'm off my birth control. And I have a good friend who was in a court in the first course. And she was like, she had the hormonal IUD and she was like, I can't believe how different I feel and how much relief I have. And and I feel like myself finally. So that was really exciting for her and like a really good decision for her. I personally, so I was raised super religious where um, sex before marriage was like the biggest no, no, like in the world, like horrible, horrible. And, um, and, but I met my, he's not my husband, but, and we met when we were 18, both part of that religion. And so, um, we definitely had sex before we were married, but we were so freaked out about getting pregnant or getting caught. that even though I was on birth control, he would still pull out and never come inside me. So we like, I feel like we like trained ourselves from the very beginning to like use that method. Um, and so then in 2016, when I completely got off of birth control, I just started tracking my cycle. And when I was ovulating, we would not have sex. And even when I'm not ovulating like it's just our practice and like in our relationship to like always pull out and we've never used condoms um so that's how I personally go about it there are definitely like more um sure ways like using condoms to prevent pregnancy and like especially if you are like against abortion you would definitely want to be more precautious if you do not want to have a baby. So that's how I do it. I track my cycle when I'm ovulating, we don't have sex or we're just more careful during that time. And then all throughout the month, we um, always pull out. If you were like, cool, that's great. But like, I need something a little bit more um, trackable or like scientific. There, you can get a basal thermometer and you can chart your temperature throughout the month so you know exactly when you're ovulating and when to refrain from sex. And a lot of people will use this method when they're trying to get pregnant because then they know when they're ovulating. And if you wanted to go like, sorry, big and bold with this way of preventing pregnancy or even trying to get pregnant, and you didn't want to use birth control or condoms, you can use this. Um, it's also a thermometer, but it's called DAISY, D-A-Y-S-Y. And it tells you exactly what phase you are in. So there's no guessing. Like you take your temperature and it's like you're ovulating. Whereas like with a basal thermometer, you're, you're more in like a tracking sense. Like, okay, my temperature is rising. With Daisy, it tells you like you're in your luteal phase, you're in your menstrual phase, you're in your follicular phase. 
So that would be like the pinnacle of fertility awareness method, birth control. Um, does that answer your question? Do you have any more questions about that? No, um, that is, that's a really good response. I, um, I will just add, I tracked my cycle with a regular thermometer when I wanted to have a child. And I'll say like, I think it's worth doing even if you don't want kids. It gave me a lot of insight to my period just in general and my cycle. And like, you know, cause everyone's a little different and everyone ovulates at a little different time. And um, the length is different. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Mm-hmm. Totally. So I, I think it's an interesting thing just to learn about your body, even if you're not having sex or, yeah. you know, if there's no chance of you getting pregnant, I think it's interesting. I do too. Totally. Um, it is weird to try to do it. You have to do it first thing when you wake up, which is sort of weird. Cause then if you wake up to pee at four, you're like, Oh no, I should do it now. Yeah, wake up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. I don't know the process processes with Daisy. If it's, if, if it has to be like that particular, um, but the Daisy thermometer is like $300. Like it's, it's an investment for sure. Mm. I mean, I know, yeah. but it's like not that bad if you're not doing birth control, like you're not paying for that. Kids um, are obviously way more expensive. <laughs> yes. Um, does your partner, this is just curious. I'm just like digging in over here. Yeah, let's um, get it. Does your partner also keep track of your cycle or do you let him know? It's something my husband and I have talked about. Yes, absolutely. And, and once, once your partner understands what's going on, like it makes such a huge difference. Like I can simply say like, I'm luteating. So, and he's like, okay, cool. I got it. Like, I'm not going to be as teasy as I normally would. Mm. He still can be, you know, I feel like sometimes he's actually like, Ooh, fun. <laughs> like, I can get on your nerves a little bit more, but no, it's, it's actually been really great. Um, and he will even say like, you know, if I'm extra emotional during my luteal phase or, um, irritable, he'll be like, are you in your luteal phase? And it's like, yes, I am. Thank you for the reminder. Like, I, I don't need to take this so seriously kind of thing. Um, yeah, working with your partner. And, and the more your partner understands what's going on and your different energy levels, like, of course, the better your relationship is going to be. And like, you know, for us, like we rock climb together and it's like such a great relationship sport. Um. But like, again, he's more primed to be able to show up in the same way every single day. And I'm not. And so when he knows like, oh, like there's more energy during this time, like this is when we can like go climb with friends and like push harder. And then if I'm like, you know, later in my cycle and I'm not wanting to like go for it, like I normally would, he doesn't push me in a way that, that feels like unsupportive where it's like okay cool like you you need to like keep it chill that's totally fine like do what you need to do kind of thing um definitely definitely helpful to work with your partner on it and like like just let them know how it's going because I feel like there's a time of the month where I want to be pushed where someone's like no you should like go for it um and then like I was just say like I was about to get my period last like last time when I was PMSing really bad and 
I got dressed in my running clothes even. And then I was like, you know what? I'm not doing it. Like, I just, I don't want to, like, I don't want to. And my husband like tried to push me and I was like, do not. (laughs) (laughs) Do not go there. I was like, I am not going for a run right now. Like, I don't want to, like, I know myself. I was like, so snippy, but like, you know, yeah, definitely. I think it's really good information for everyone, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. I just, and it also so interesting to me that really it partly started, I feel like for me taking interest in my cycle and branching out to other athletic activities really started with yoga because yoga asks you to like, look, Yeah, um, it just feels like it's again, like sort of another gift of the yoga practice. It's like awareness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And just like, exactly like that self-study portion of it. And, and like, this is, such a like biological natural part of ourselves yet it is so like frowned upon and there's so much taboo around it that it's like hard to get this information and it's it requires like a lot of work to really dive into it and then apply it to your life so so having the yoga practice of like patience and like you know, meditation is so supportive when you begin cycle seeking, because you're not going to be as like frustrated with yourself when you don't do it perfectly, because you're never going to do it perfectly. You know, just like your yoga practice, it's never done. It's never perfect. It's never finished. Like cycle seeking and your personal self-study is going to be the exact same way. Hmm. I love that. Well, I know people are going to want to hear more about your course and more about you. So where can we find you? Yeah. So you can find, I have two social medias because I didn't want like the men who follow my yoga account to be like, I don't care about periods. You know, I don't want to, this isn't information that applies to me. So I have uh, on Instagram, my yoga and personal account is Bend It with Becca and it's B-E-K-A-H. And then my period stuff lives um, at Period Witch and that's P-E-R-I-O-D-W-I-T-C-H. And then you can find information on courses and all the things I'm up to at benditwithbecca.com. And that's it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Rebecca. That was such a like fun and invigorating conversation. And I'm so glad you reached out to uh, bring me on the podcast and like have this conversation. And I, I just love and admire that you are like already so in tune without having like it doesn't have to be so complicated, right? Like you listen to your body. And so you are already in tune with it. Oh, well, thank you. That means a lot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So good to see you, Rebecca. Me too. Talk soon. Yeah, talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Becca Andrew. Uh, she doesn't mention this, but also her and her partner teach a really fun yoga class where he DJs and she teaches um, yoga. And it's super fun. Even even online, it's still you still get the good vibes. So I really recommend checking that out. It's um, Bend It with you can find it at our website, which she said, which is benditwithbecca.com. Oh my gosh! So we are to our last yama, um, and it's a doozy. It's Ishvara Pradidaha, and that's the name of it. I won't pronounce it again. I already had to practice like four times because. I'm so bad at pronouncing Sanskrit. I'm really working on it. 
anyways, uh, it literally means surrender to God or surrender to a higher power, surrender to the universe, which really always has felt like so obtuse to me and like made no sense. And actually Kate Dunn, who was on the pod, uh, she explained it in a way that I really understood once in a yoga class where she talked about how really, you know, it's something we all do eventually because we all die. <laughs> you know, eventually there is this kind of like giving it up, this sort of like, you know, uh, letting go of control that happens. It has to happen. It happens to all of us. And thinking about it that way has helped me understand it better, right? There's there's this way of like knowing that eventually um, the things, I know the things that I try to really hold on, on control over uh, won't matter because I'll be dead. <laughs> Helps me to kind of like let go of control a little bit. I don't know. It sounds a little bit morbid, but I think we all kind of do that, right? When, when something gets like really, you know, when I'm really stressed out about something, I think like, is this going to matter when I'm dead? Or will this matter? Will I feel about, how will I feel about this when I'm dying, when I'm really like in that phase of kind of letting go and like letting the universe take me wherever, you know, whatever you think happens with death. I, I, it's, I'm undecided over here. So I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. The, I think the idea of death can actually be really liberating that, that we eventually die makes everything more beautiful and also things less important. Cool. So we'll end on that note. <laughs> I keep getting distracted because my closet's really messy right now. I need to clean it. Um, anyways. Uh, okay. So, hey, thanks for listening. And I will be back in two weeks. And I look forward to talking more about yoga. Enjoy your practice. Bye.